Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden pause in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, driver's recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly come that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> G'day and welcome. This is Golf. Andrew Datto is my name, and I'm thrilled with this week's episode because it literally came from left field. I got an email from a friend. They said, you have to speak to Paul Mahoney. And I've gone, Paul who? And he goes, Paul Mahoney. He's one of the great success stories of New Zealand golf, but maybe not in the way you would think. Now, talking to Paul, he talked a little bit about luck, and luck definitely has a place in the game of golf, but also the game of business. And that's where Paul's really excelled. So it's a golf story. He's a professional golfer. He did, well, he'll tell you how he did. Um, And just a terrific guy. But again, as I say, one of the great success stories. Um, Still involved in the game, but in a way he probably didn't expect at the very beginning. But gee whiz, it's worked out really well for him and for his family. So this is Paul Mahoney. And we pick it up with him talking about his early life in golf in New Zealand. Really fun. Um, I got started, I did, did what a lot of young golfers uh, around 16 would do. They left school, left school, did my apprenticeship with Dennis Sullivan, a, uh, an Australian pro. Uh, he allowed me to play some events. I showed some form. I actually played pretty well in our open in the PGA. And I started to think well, there's a chance to join the um, thrill seekers out on the tour. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, at the end of my time, I inherited $2,000 from an uncle, uh, bought an air ticket to Australia, played Kingston Heath, and realized after one round, I think I shot around about 80. I realized. My game needed to improve, but I did carry on to Europe and played. I, I, when I played over there, traveled through, uh, played tournaments like the French Open, got to play with Seve Ballesteros for two rounds in 1975 before he became a gun. Yeah. And how was uh, that? What was he like in his, in his oh, formative time? It, it was great because um, I didn't know much about him, but uh, I'd heard he was a player of the future and uh, he was ripping the ball about 
40 yards past me mm. and had a very skillful short game. But I, I realized that when I was over there, the Spaniards used to train very hard. The Austral, we, uh, after a beer, they'd go out and practice a short game and seem to be a little more dedicated. Right. Um, so, so did you, so then, just, just uh, with Sebi, yes. Paul, um, so, I mean, you've gone over there thinking, you know, you're a player. I mean, obviously, you're a player of the future. You meet up with another player of the future. Did mm. you, um, we, was it shocking or was it exciting? Did you sort of look at him and go, oh, oh, he's, he's good, oh, no, but he's, no, you know, he's not that good? No, I thought, you know, you, you always think you can get as good as they, those guys. Uh, mm. Otherwise, you'd, uh, you'd throw the talent very early. And, uh, but I did come back from Europe and uh, realized that I'd needed to improve. And that's when uh, I thought uh, I'll head to the States and uh, finished up uh, living, uh, living up at Pebble Beach. And they had a couple of renowned coaching pros there. And because when I was training, there weren't, I mean, Dennis Sullivan was a very good coach and he, he helped me a lot. But I thought, well, I want to get to the Dizzy Heights. I'll go to the, go and find the pros that are getting these players to the heights. And I finished up um, uh, working at Pebble Beach on and off for a couple of years, trying to get good enough. Hmm. And what, and, what was uh, the difference? What was the difference in what the coaches were were trying to um, get from the players? From say, from Dennis to the to, to your American uh, coaches? I, I suppose they, I suppose they work on slightly different techniques possibly i mean i had there were two coaches up there one was art bell who was a he, he uh was one of the better players in the hogan era he won a lot of tournaments and he was very simplistic you know just learned to swing arms and knees poor arms and knees keep it you know keep it simple what is then, oh, sorry what is arms and so i'm an amateur golfer a lot of our listeners yeah are, what is well, uh, i've never heard arms and knees before well he would say everything's got to move. You know, he was always talking about quiet hands, but like a bowler, a lawn bowler when they mm. bowl. You know, they have very quiet hands and the yeah. one that one motion. And Art Bell said, he said, Paul, you've got a caddy swing. You know, I had a real Kiwi flick my hands a bit at the ball, which he said, well, you know, if you keep continue to do that, you'll never be, a, you'll never make any money. So uh, anyway, I worked with Art for a while, and then I went over to um, Carmel, where there's a guy called. Ben Doyle coaching, and he was coaching the golfing machine method, which uh, Bryson Chambeau is using a bit of it today. And mm. uh, I mean, he was he, he had a book. It was quite interesting because a mate of mine had this book called The Golfing Machine. He he gave it to Peter Thompson to have a look at. It. And Peter Thompson took one. He read one page of it <laughs> and said, "I suggest you give it to your opposition." And it was <laughs> real. <laughs> so. Anyway, pretty complicated, but he was coaching a guy called um, uh, Bobby Clampett at the time. <laughs> and Bobby Clampett was the number one amateur in the world. And I thought, well, this is this guy's got the answers. Well, he was very different. And now I used to come home at Christmas time and I stopped in and played the Australian Open at Victoria on the way back after a year's training. I don't know whether you've ever played Victoria. Yeah. I, I remember my first tee shot was gaining height as it went out of bounds over to the right. <laughs> and then I remember get round, I, I recovered, got round, got round to about the sixth hole and was hitting the ball up into the sun. There was a spotter down the left. Anyway, I hit it, couldn't see where it went. And I knew it was going left. But Gary Player was coming down the other fairway <laughs> and I saw I saw the crowd bolting for cover as my ball charged at them. And I thought, 
whatever I've been taught, I haven't, haven't <laughs> hasn't sunk in yet. <laughs> how long did so, how long did you try the what, what did you say the machine method? Is that what you said? A uh, golfing machine. A lot of Golf. the pros know about it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but it is it was controversial. Uh, but I know I was reading a bit about Bryson Schemper, and he talks about it because uh, he's right into the uh, physics of physics mm. of the swing. And but um, I mean. Anyway, it uh, it wasn't working at the time. I actually lost form. But, right, uh, and, that's, and that and that that's the tough thing about golf. You can uh, you can play as much as you like and train as much as you like, but it doesn't that doesn't guarantee you're going to be a star. No, and what do you think that is about um, about golf for professionals and amateurs? That it's not. It's, I mean, you know, they well, I don't know. It just seems to desert you at the moment. <laughs> okay. Well, this, the, pre- the pressure, as soon as you put the card in the back pocket, that'll uh, test your technique out. And, uh, you know, you can all live well at the range, but it's a little bit, uh, I think you just, I don't know, if your method's not right, uh, yeah. under pressure it can play up and, um, you know, you get into a tournament, you want to do well and that uh, can undo you a bit. So you said you were a handsy player. Do you, do you think yeah. there's a place for that now That for the – no. Right. Definitely not. Okay. The more I've played, the, the good players, the you know, the hands, you know, they they've got the the good swing motion, very quiet through the ball. So what Art Bell was saying was right, but I suppose I'd had about fifteen years of doing it the other way, and it does take it has taken a while to come right, Andrew. Okay. Hey, the um, was the course for young Kiwi um, golfers? Was it to go? To Australia and then Europe and America was that the fairly standard um, practice? I think so. I think I think so. And I think a lot of the Kiwis, um, you know, leave coming from our old our courses were very short and narrow little things. But quite often you hit your drive. If you hit it wide enough, you go to the next fairway. Well, a lot of those courses, especially on the sand belt, they mm. demand um, you know a lot better quality shots. So. I think the Kiwis take a while to adjust yeah. to uh, get into that standard. Um, what's the state of New Zealand golf? Because from here, um, and I'm in Sydney, and I've been there a few times for for work. It is just yep. magnificent. It's, I mean, if I was allowed to go, you know, almost anywhere, I'd be going to New Zealand to play golf. Yeah, now you can. We've got some fantastic resorts, and um, we got up at Tarry, just north of Auckland, where I live. Uh, they got. Three, they've got one course gone and another two public courses going on. And they, you know, they, they've got, uh, we're, and you know, a lot of Americans have come in and built resort courses and best, you know, five star. Yeah. So I can see why people will travel. About 10 years ago, you wouldn't have come here to play golf, but you've got Tautwairaki, um, Bay of Islands now, stunning golf courses, Queenstown. Yeah, we, we played so, Parapara. You, know, you, can, you um, can have a good golf trip. We we played Paraparuma and it was just oh my god! I mean, it was like being at St Andrews. It was beautiful. Every time I go to Wellington, I always stay at Paraparuma so I could play nine holes there. I mean, it is yeah. a stunning course. Okay, but we, we we just didn't have a lot of them at the time. You, you go to Melbourne, you could pick ten courses. Yeah, uh, more. So so what happened? You you came back from America. You went to Australia. You got beat up yep. in Victoria, and did you, yeah, uh, did, did you just decide that was enough? No, I kept going. No, no, I went back. I think I went back another season, but then uh, came back to New Zealand and uh, met my wife, Sabina, and she wasn't too happy with the cash flow I was generating at the time. Right. Well, how did you go? And, and how did you survive? 
Well, I was struggling in Pebble Beach. I was on $5 an hour living like a millionaire because it is a very expensive part of America. Hmm. And uh, so I was a greeter at Pebble Beach. And um, <laughs> so we'd, I mean, my job was to take clubs from the, from the car down to the first tee. Yeah. And then we would play, but I got to play Pebble Beach most nights, Spyglass Hill, the famous wow. courses. And yeah. uh, we had a lot of mates. We had a lot of good players we used to play with. So that was fun. And then if we we're really broke, we'd, we'd get the call at seven in the morning. There's a double loop going, which is a caddy job. You carry, you know, the, the Americans like everything big. So they had 10 inch bags, <laughs> carry these clubs around bloody Pebble Beach for 50 bucks. But mm. uh, anyway, we survived. It was, it was, it, I, in my teenage years, lived in New Jersey and um, used to caddy at a place called Canoebrook Country Club. And, it was, oh, yeah. and I didn't know, I didn't know, you'd have these, so it's the same thing, I'm sure, you know, and they'd have these massive bags and you could barely carry them. Yeah. And then well, hit, especially after a late night. Yeah. And they, they hit, hit ball all, all over the planet and then go, hey, where's my ball? And I'd go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I carried for a guy called Dino Spanis. <laughs> and his father owned the big construction firm. And he, he reminded me of J.R. Ewing. And it was in the Crosby. And we came to a crucial time of the, of, to qualify. And he, anyway, he hit this. He had a three iron in his hand to hit, hit the past three. And I said, I think you need two. So he hit the two. It went in the, over the green <laughs> by a foot. It was impossible to get up and down. We missed the cut by a shot. And he was not happy. I lost my tip. And as I said, I said to him at the time, I didn't expect he did that well. You know, right. One of these guys that everyone, anyway, uh, yeah, I got nearly got fired as a caddy. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny that that you get the blame for that. He's the one who hit the ball. So yeah, well, as I said, normally miss hits, and I thought, I'll, I'll, you know, but he, this time he flushed it, and mm. uh, he, he was uh, he was not happy, Dino. But, uh, so so you, 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 <laughs> your girlfriend slash wife to be is gone, mate. <laughs> We're gonna we, yeah. we're gonna make something of this. What are we gonna do? Yeah. Is that is that uh, how it works? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, the job came up at Miramar Golf Club. I don't know if you've ever flown into Wellington, but um, yeah, Windy Wellington, right next frightening. Windy, yeah. Well, I I I got the job there as a club pro, and uh, I thought, right, I'll just put my tour career on hold for a while, and uh, open up the shop there. And I remember. Uh, anyway, he, that I think it's the windiest golf course in the world. But at the time, uh, I didn't know much about running a pro shop. But at the time, uh, it was the only pro shop in the city, and uh, so we got started trading there. But I knew nothing about it. But I got you know in business, you get lucky breaks. Like I fixed this guy's chipping, and it turned out uh, you know I asked him what he did, and he was the leading advertising man in town. He said, "Listen." I won't charge you for the chipping lesson. You give me a few tips on how to run these shops. Yeah, right. And it turned out it turned out to be a great little business. And um, we were selling at one stage duty free golf clubs. I was selling clubs to Australia, and they were Australian clubs. So <laughs> send them back over. <laughs> so uh, anyway, but, uh, I could I could tell you some stories about Miramar, but it was a great club, and I I, I was a club pro for ten years. Um, you know, kids come along. And then um, that's when we um, 
I decided, right, time for a change. So we okay, before, just before we before we get to the change, I'm just really curious about Miramar and the windiest golf mm. course in the world. Yeah. So yeah. you're the golf pro there. You're giving golf lessons. What's yeah. the what? No, Trevor. Yeah. What's the um? Oh, yeah. Sorry, you were giving lessons. Yeah, giving lessons. Yeah. So uh, how do you um, how do you teach someone the wind? Like, what's the? Well, the the wind is. Um, the, the the big thing is I think is uh ball slightly back in the stance and and um short follow through, you know, shorten your follow through. Okay. And and that seems to keep the ball well for me it keeps it lower. Let's get to the to, to the which is sort of turned out to be the, the, the really lucrative part of your 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 golfing life. It wasn't the tour, unfortunately. Um, did you did you did you did you want it to be the? I mean, obviously you wanted it to be the tour. Did you yeah, did yeah, you lament yeah. that, that 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 didn't work out? Uh, not really. Well, no. Look, I still love golf. I play. I've just played this morning with John Lister. Out of, you know, I, I still love to play, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, you just have to change tackle even as I right now. Possibly not going to happen at this stage. But I, you know, I kept. I still play the odd tournament, and um, still enjoy to play. Okay. But What's as this? I say, you just got to just got to change tack a wee bit. And so, how do you deal with that? Um, that I mean, obviously, it's experience. But when the the card slides into the back pocket, how do you how do you deal with that when you're playing in a tournament now? Uh, <laughs> I tend to grip a bit tight, but um, I'm actually. <laughs> But I mean, I've, see, now I've got more time to play. I mean, when I had the club job, you know, uh, six and seven days, the kids were young. Um, yeah, you're busy. They're pretty busy and they get a chance to play. But now uh, with these, this new type of business, I have a lot more time because I don't have to personalise the business. And so I'm out practising. I'm still, still trying to live the dream, Andrew. Mm. Well, it's good. It's good like, to know. You know and I'll, I'll sneak. And I'll sneak over and play the odd senior event in Australia. So, um, but, uh, oh, uh, terrific! So, so, how did you? So, it's it's adventure golf, isn't it? That's the. It, it's not yeah. mini golf, and it's not well. Putt, see, the, putt. see, mini, yeah, mini putt. Yeah, it is putt putt, really. But um, mini putt died in the states years ago. You know, they're all ratty little places. Anyway. Uh, I had a. I went to. We. I took the family to Christchurch. We built this driving range, uh, and um, I had a bit of land next door to it, about two thousand square meters. And uh, anyway, I fin- finished that. It was a good little business. Sold it to some a Korean family. And I said, "Well, I'll keep that piece of land just to the left there, uh, with an option to." Um, so I went off to Myrtle Beach in the States, back to the States, and uh, met the Pete Dye of mini golf. And, and I don't know if you've been to Myrtle Beach, but this guy built magnificent theme parks. So, okay, they had the, had the mini putt, but it was a theme park. And, you know, you'd spend, they'd spend $2 million building a mini putt course, and they were great facilities. So, of course, being a Kiwi, I took all the photos, tried to steal all the ideas, and... Um, Dude, can I, hey Paul, can I just ask? I'm just sorry, I've just got this image in my head, and I want to confirm or deny it. The peak die of mini golf, of adventure golf in America, 
tell me he wears plaid pants and a loud shirt. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got a wig, right? He wears a wig or something. (laughs) Yeah, he's a hard case. But anyway, um, I couldn't get get anyone to give me prices because we're building pirate ships, caves, waterfalls. So I called, anyway, I met the guy, I had dinner with him, and finally I called him up. And I said, would you come down and build this one in Christchurch? And he said, not a problem. I'll bring my wife down. Anyway, as I said, you need luck in business. This guy turned out to be an absolute great operator. Yeah. And he, so he built this course, um, and we called it Pirates Island on this 2,000 square meters. And I, the week he turned up, I broke my leg trying to ski up at uh, Mount Hope. <laughs> he, he said, don't worry, Paul, I'll, I'll, I'll get the thing organized. And, and he did it on such a tight budget. I mean, we were building the waterfalls out of, uh, he was getting in old wood uh, um, footpaths, all the old cement, stacking it and getting people to drop stuff here and there. Amazing guy. And he, 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 uh, anyway, built this Pirate's Islands, just an 18-hole course. And um, he, uh, so, and then foot, he got it open on a, very good, uh, and the place just went off. I mean, you, um, then we went and built one in Auckland by the Auckland Airport. Next time you'll have to come for a game, Andrew. Uh, yeah, Treasure Treasure Island. He built that one out of a swamp. After the airport, who owned the land, they said, "No, we can't get the land ready for you." Tom got it organised, and then we just went from there. And um, so, for you as a, I mean, I know this is a business. Um, a business caper, but was there part of you or part of your, uh, you know, your, you know, your professional golfing friend group who were like, Jesus, Paul, mini golf. Yeah, exactly. You know, was there, was there, I'm, I'm, I'm not, to, it's not a shame. Um, Do you know what I mean? Like, well, no, yeah, I don't, I really, but it, to me, it's just uh, a business. And, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, you know we get a bit of enjoyment because people seem to really love going to these places. And yeah. the one at Auckland Airport, Auckland Airport's been open twenty years. I think we had a best day ever the other day. It was in the middle of winter on a Saturday, <laughs> and uh, I mean, so um, so the the Pete Dye of mini golf. He, he built the one, and then all the ones in uh, New Zealand. Yeah, and then uh, what's his name? The son, Tom something. Uh, Tom Merrill. Yeah, Tom Merrill. That's yeah, it. Fantastic guy. And, uh, <laughs> and he, anyway, so um, this, so then my son went to England and he was like a lot of uh, Kiwis looking for a job. And he went into the Wimbledon drive, uh, driving range and they had mini putt coming, uh, adventure golf coming. And he knocked on their door and he said, um, uh, he said, could I have a look at what you're planning to do? And he basically just suggested, right, I think you need a second opinion. Along comes Tom again. Ollie got himself a job building this golf course. He'd never lifted a hammer in his life. Yeah. And anyway, the best thing that ever happened there. And now Oliver's built, I think we've got, he's built 15 or 16 courses around London. I suppose the difference between that and golf, golf's a little bit harder to you know, learn to play to get to an enjoyable standard. Mm. Mini putt, mini putt, everyone can do it. But, uh, but but mini putt's like a gateway drug, isn't it, for to to golf? It can be because um, normally, if you combine a driving range and a mini putt, 
they're they're very complementary. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah. so is golf is golf going just gangbusters in New Zealand at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got we got councils trying to close down public courses, but you know they want you know, more land for housing. But what they need to do is spend money on them and get them up to speed. And I mean, they're just great facilities. Yeah, and there's, and there's, uh, it's just you just can't get on a golf course in Auckland. There's thousands of people playing, and I think it's a lot of it's because a lot of people work from home, so they can pop out and play a few holes or whatever. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's turned around. But you know, a year ago, they were all struggling. Now they, you can't get a tee time. Yeah, I think it's one of the great success stories of COVID. Tell me about Michael yeah. Campbell and Treasure Island. Oh yeah, thanks. Well, he. <laughs> He's a, he's a classic Michael. He, he, well, he's from Wellington, now Titai Bay, and that would be the worst golf course in the world. I should, <laughs> should say that. Well, the most interesting golf course in the world. But yeah, there you go. Anyway, he um, he was in Wellington, and we're building a course in Pyrrhua. Anyway, his father called me up. He said, listen, uh, Mike would like to come and bring his kids to Pirates Cove. And I said, Oh, that'd be great. I said, we had just finished Pirates Cove. And I said, do you mind if I get the press along? Because we'd run out of money for marketing. And he said, he called me up. He said, oh, I'd rather just have a quiet time. And then he called me back five minutes later. He said, oh, one of the TV channels wants to um, interview me. I'll do it at your course, if you like. Oh, well, I said, that's fantastic. So what anyway, a good guy. Yes, I'm on. I'm on. He is a good, he's a top fella. Anyway, yeah. He's on the... Uh, so I get on TV news for, you know, it seemed like three or four minutes. I'm on the front page of all the main papers. So anyway, six months later, he wins the US Open. He's back for a big parade. And the guy calls me up. He says, oh, Mike Campbell's back over here. The place is packed. I said to him, I hope you didn't charge him for a game. And he said, yeah, I gave him a family deal. He's still there, mate. Yeah. Anyway, I, I called Mike up. I said, I said, this would be the only golf course in the world that would charge you for a game at the moment. And he said, don't worry about it, Paul. I've got a, I've got a, a boot full of cash. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is it, so with the, with the mini golf, is it, I mean, do you have to be a good putter? Is like, does no. it, what no, well, I, I, I tried to help Tom design a course and he said, Paul, you stay well away from it. Cause I mean, <laughs> golf, Golfers that you know want to challenge and you know test your skills. Many putters you don't want to frustrate them, so you got to make it interesting, but you got to give them options to get in. You know, don't, they don't frustrate them. And uh, so when you, so you give them about three options to get in the hole. Uh, that's my uh, theory on it, anyway. Just just to finish up, how 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 far can you push adventure golf? Like how how mad can well, it can it get? Uh Oh, well, I think the business is still growing. Uh, I think, um, you know, we, well, I'm probably, uh, I'm not, I'm looking, uh, you know, we're looking for sites. The hardest challenge is finding sites for them because, uh, you know, they acquire a lot of land. Of course, they got a lot of lands. A lot of people use adventure golfs to hold their land until, you know, big developers come along. But, um, I mean, we'd love to come to Australia and look for opportunities. So yeah. um, I've been over a couple of times, but you know, at the moment we can't. We're not moving far. But okay. uh, no, no, it's a good industry, and uh, um, again, it's the challenge is just finding the sites and 
get in the product right, I suppose. And for the players, for the for the you know mums and dads taking their kids to to play, is there a is there a, is there a trick to it? Is there a secret? Is there something that they can now? <laughs> this is what you do, or not? No, not really. No, I mean, I mean, uh, you just you get all sorts of punters out there, and um, and but the beauty of it is they can all play it, and it doesn't drive them mad. Yeah, and uh, I suppose golf. The biggest challenge I think in golf is, I think. The best coach I ever saw for, for beginners, but he, he used to take all of me, and he was a school teacher become golfer, swing back, turn and turn through. He got them playing to a standard where, well, he wouldn't let them in onto a golf course until they could play to a standard. And his success rate was unreal. And I just think that these days a lot of the pros blind with too much science and too much technique. And uh, they get to the first tee, they know what the damn we're doing. So, yeah. And of course, uh, that's the beauty of the adventure golf. They can, you know, everyone can do it and uh, yeah. have a bit of success. All right. Hey, Paul, I just want to say thanks very much for your time. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And I now am definitely keen to get to New Zealand, play adventure golf, and also check out your son's courses in the UK. Sounds great. Yeah. Okay, Andrew. That's really nice to talk to you. See you later. Good on you, Paul. Hey, thanks very much for your Bye. time. What a pleasure to chat with Paul Mahoney. Great story. Terrific guy. Uh, He's got a reason to come here, and we've all definitely got a reason to go to New Zealand and check out some of the courses that his son Oliver's made in the UK as well. Uh, Next week, not sure. There seems to be um, a groundswell of support for match play. To talk about match play. Uh, If there's something you want to listen to or think about or uh, find out about or you've got someone great for me to talk to, please send them on. You can contact me at Instagram at, at Andrew Datto um, and we'll see how we go. But yeah, listen, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed Paul and match play next week. I just got to find the right dude to talk about it. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.